How do you normally start cooking? Olive oil, right? Well, I have great news for you. This podcast is also brought to you by California Olive Ranch, expertly crafted extra version olive oil. Go to CaliforniaOliveRanch.com and enter the promo code CHICKENS10, that's one word, CHICKENS10, to receive 10% off your entire first purchase. The offer is available through December 31st. California Olive Ranch, discovery starts in the bottle. Let's start the show. Pastel de nata. Churros. Brigadeiro. Calzone. Apple pie. pie. Bangers and mash. Toad in the hole. Paella. Hello there, my chickens and dishes. How are you? Welcome back for another episode of Turning Chickens and Breaking Dishes. My name is David G. Martins, or David Guimarães Martins, and I'm the executive chef for the European Union Embassy in Washington, D.C. And as always, just in case, if this is your first time listening, let me explain to you why my podcast has this exceptional name. I'm originally from Portugal, and I've been living in Washington, D.C. for the last nine years. And the name of the podcast refers to two Portuguese phrases. Turning chickens means someone that has a lot of experience, and breaking dishes means someone that has exceeded all expectations. I'll be asking my guests if we've been turning more chickens or breaking more dishes. Every episode I'll have a guest and we'll talk about everything related to food, not necessarily ingredients or dishes, but how through food we can help communities, the success of small business owners, the fascinating stories that we remember growing up with our family sitting around the table, and even what's the best breakfast ever. Don't forget to subscribe to my podcast and all the platforms you have access to. You can follow me on Instagram at Turning Chickens Breaking Dishes or the Facebook page Turning Chickens and Breaking Dishes. If you want to support this podcast, go to anchor.fm slash david-martins. I hope you enjoy listening to every episode and don't forget I'm Portuguese. So if you don't understand something, just Google it. My guest today is a recognized guru in all things coffee-related. For three consecutive years, he came in second in the UK Barista Championship before taking first place at the Barista World Championship competition in Seoul, South Korea in 2017. He's the general manager for Hasbin, where they source and roast specialty coffee supplied to coffee shops throughout the UK and Europe. Dale Harris, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. How are you today? I'm really good. I had... Uh... I had a really nice, relaxed day just doing emails and nothing else. Is that relaxing, answering emails? It's different. You know, it's one, different. Of the, <laughs> one of the joys of my life is maybe, maybe every day is different. Two important questions. Have you ever been to Portugal? Okay. I'm sorry. No, I haven't. But it is on my list, uh, particularly for like the time I've market and, you know, lots of beautiful, amazing things. You know, like uh, probably nine out of 10 British people been to Portugal right? Because <laughs> that's where you guys go. For, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a traditional yeah. holiday destination. Do you know any Portuguese words? Oh, not yeah. that I would be willing to pronounce. I okay. think actually, so in coffee, um, acidity is really important to how we describe flavoring coffee or when we're talking about it in, in the industry. And obviously coffee farmers, we have a lot of coffee farmers speak Spanish, but obviously uh, Brazil is the biggest producer, uh, Sonia Arabica, so Portuguese there. And from my dear Brazilian friends, I've got confused about acidity and bitterness. So what, what is acidity and bitterness in Portuguese or acid and bitter? So acid is acido and bitter will be amargo. Okay. So they're not that close, but when I'm speaking to a Brazilian person, they're the same. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely the same. Perfect. Do you know how to say coffee in Portuguese? 
I'm not yet. <laughs> cafe. Ah, oh, cafe. Easy. There you go. How, <laughs> how do you make the perfect cup of coffee? Oof. Straight, straight in with the easy one, right? Lots of different ways you can take this. I think the truest one is use coffee that, you know, everyone has a different preference for coffee, but use coffee that is pretty fresh from when it was roasted. You know, it's just, it opens up so much more opportunity for quality and coffee that has been roasted well and is fresh will always taste better than coffee that is 90 days old from the supermarket. You know, even if it's the most expensive coffee in the world, if it's stale, it's flat. Mm. So that's one, one answer. The other kind of related answer would be grind it fresh. Like, and within 10, 15 minutes of grinding, coffee loses something like 90% of its volatiles. So all the things that make it special disappear. And what you're left with is something very generic, pretty much tastes like instant coffee. So buy a grinder, grind it fresh, fresh from roasted, and then the last kind of secret tip would be use scales. And everyone at home thinks this, ma this makes you a geek. This makes you a nerd. Why are you weighing things? But, mm -hmm. you know, as a chef, how much more control you have with weight. And it really isn't about there being a perfect recipe. It's about being able to repeat the recipe you like. So if you like stronger coffee, use more coffee to water. It's fine. There's no, there's no reason why you can't have more coffee to water. But if you don't know how much ingredient you used and you yeah. really like the result, you can never repeat it. Is it better to buy coffee pre-ground or grind yourself at home? 100% grind yourself at home. Yes, you can get electric grinders and they're not too expensive, but financially you can get a hand grinder. They will mm -hmm. do a better job than cheap electric grinders. It won't cost too much. It's an extra minute's work and it literally will increase the potential quality by a factor of 10, if not 100. I'd say it's uh, the equivalent of a corkscrew, yeah. right? Like you can, you, can, you can buy a screw top wine and it's fine and it's good. And you can buy pre-grind coffee and it's good and it's fine. But if you get that one tool, you've got so much more choice and so much more potential for quality. What's your opinion about capsule coffee? <laughs> so there is bad capsule coffee. There mm -hmm. is slightly better <laughs> capsule is that, coffee. Is that a diplomatic answer? Yeah, yeah, like no, like there's definitely there are definitely some really good coffee companies working with capsule coffee, and arguably, the coffee that Nespresso buy and put in Nespresso capsules is a hundred times better than the coffee they put in their cheap supermarket instant. It's sourced well. They're looking after farmers. Maybe the roast isn't always my preference, and the real thing that makes it better will be it's fresh. So it's foil line capsules will mean that whilst it's pre-ground. It's not aging in any way until you open that capsule or in a very limited way. So it will taste better than pre-grind, let's say, espresso coffee that you opened the packet last week. Okay. It has more potential for quality. There are better capsules and there are less good capsules. You have more choice with fresh beans, but yeah, it's okay. <laughs> it can be okay. Oh, after all of that answer, it's fine uh, if you don't yeah. have anything else. For your average person, do different shades, flavors, and beans make a noticeable difference in taste? Yes, for the average person. Like, uh, I have lots of beliefs, lots of crazy ideas. If you drink, if you're really into coffee, if you work with coffee every day, you will probably notice and perceive more of the difference from coffee to coffee because you're kind of engaged and excited or because you're really experienced. But if it's good coffee, if it's really good coffee, if, an, if a regular customer 
can't taste the difference, it's not good enough. So for, for it to be valuable, for, for the coffee buyer, for the roaster to spend more money on it, for the farmer to, to invest more time in it, if that doesn't create a taste result, uh, then it's not important. The only value anyone gets from coffee is in flavor, is in how it tastes. You know, the caffeine, there are, there are easier, faster ways to wake yourself up. Red Bull is probably better at it. Never there are had, emotional never had things. One. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> never, had, never had a Red Bull in my life. You're probably winning in life. <laughs> <laughs> I think coffee has no nutritional value. So it's only about how it makes you feel. And flavor is a big part of that. There are emotional things. So like having something hot. Caffeine will make you productive. So your boss might want you to drink more coffee. But it's a really small impact. I would much rather drink less coffee and coffee that tastes better and more interesting. You know, it's the same as, you know, great food. Like I would rather, I would rather have one great tomato than a stack of of fruit that tastes of water, you know? Yeah. What do you think about iced coffees and other evolutions of coffee drinks? Do you think they enhance the taste or damage? So, oh, what a question. Um, Thank you. So I'm British. I spend most of my life living in the gray. It's kind of raining. It's kind of like 18 degrees 90% of the time. So it's always fine. It's never great. It's never bad. And one of the things that I've learned from, from traveling a lot more over the last few years is that that's weird, right? I just assumed that everyone lived like that and it kind of rains most days for everyone. And as soon as I started traveling, I realized how exceptional the UK is in a really boring way. <laughs> so like you, you just, you know, in France, even the north of France, the, the seasonal difference is so much larger. And it's just because of living on a tiny island located in a weird place. So it means that I'm predisposed to not wanting to drink cold stuff most of the time. We, need, okay. we, we drink hot drinks for another reason, right? Yeah. So my personal preference is because I didn't grow up with cold coffee. I don't like the flavor that much. In terms of the chemistry, normally... When you brew cold brew, cold coffee, there are two different ways you, you can go. So you can brew the coffee hot and dilute it with ice. Uh, and I guess most traditional kind of iced tea recipes are, are brewed like that. That's the Japanese ice brew method. And there's the more typical, um, and some people, some people talk about the pros of it, which is really long, slow cold brew where you put something in a container for eight hours or 24 hours or under pressure or whatever. My opinion, and there is some science to back it up, is the cold long brew is less effective at pulling out a huge quantity of things that I value in coffee. So, and it's not bad, there's no, there's no bad, but it pulls much more root flavors and much more generic flavors. So the thing that I love about coffee and, and food generally is the variety of different incredible flavors you can get from this one product. So yeah. a coffee plant grows in Colombia and because of the soil, because of the weather, because of the work the farmer's doing, it will create a product that tastes completely different to the same plant when it's grown in Ethiopia or the same plant grown in Australia. And then you have huge diversity in the plants that are being grown. So there are two main species of coffee, but the one good species, let's say Arabica, has something like 85 different sub-varieties. So we're looking, we're kind of thinking you have the whole range from, actually, so my partner's American. She talks a lot about chilies. 
in, in the UK, we, we say chilies. You know, it's mm -hmm. just one thing. You have it in spicy food. And she talks about uh, all the different chilies from like regional areas of Mexico. They're just, they're people form cuisines based on, and you get the same kind of varietal distribution in coffee. Uh, so you've got all these exciting flavors that are there. When you brew coffee cold through the, through the long cold style, a lot of that diversity is lost. And it all tastes, it may taste good, it may taste bad, but it tastes like kind of cold coffee. When you brew it hot and diluted over ice, you get more diversity. So I prefer that. You will taste the difference between a Kenyan, an Ethiopian, a Guatemalan coffee brewed that way. But for my personal preference, a hot coffee gone cold will be a cold coffee <laughs> every <Yeah>. time. <laughs> My favorite part of drinking coffee is I like espresso. I like all those kind of drinks. That's, that's what I'm good at. But my favorite flavor experience is a mug of black filter coffee. And you sit down at your desk, you start drinking it. It's a little bit too hot and it just tastes like coffee. And then you're typing your emails, you're doing whatever work you're doing and you take another sip 10 minutes later and it's cooled and it's begun to get more interesting, but you don't really think about it. And then 10 minutes later, you take another sip and the whole cup has changed. It's a combination of how your body processes flavor. So mm -hmm. your tongue, your olfactory system at different temperatures, it will recognize things with different intensities. So the closer it gets to body temperature, the more you will perceive the sweetness that's in the coffee and the less you'll perceive the bitterness, maybe acidity, but also the coffee is changing all the way through. And it's one of the big differences between, and it's not quite true, but so... If you're drinking red wine, it's served at a given temperature and the range that that temperature changes is very limited from through your drinking experience. And that limits the changing in flavor. So it begins to open up over time as it oxidizes as you're drinking from the glass, but it's a small range. And the ingredient uh, is pretty fixed. With coffee, particularly when you've just brewed it, you've just conducted like a chemical reaction. You've just made it happen. It's at a high temperature. And so there are all these things, all these chemicals that are disappearing as aromas and everything that is in that cup of coffee is unstable. And every time an aroma, so I don't know, so you smell your cup of coffee and it smells, you know, maybe you can't describe it, but it smells good. What you just smell is no longer there. Mm -hmm. That's disappeared. And what's left behind is reforming in new ways, all the ways that as the temperature goes down through entropy, it's trying to find its most stable chemical form. Um, so coffee will tend to get more, a little more acidic and a little more sweet as it cools. And right before it's kind of cold, almost all coffee will have a higher concentration of citric acid, so citrus flavors, malic acid as well. I've been working in coffee for, I don't know, 14, 14 years now. I'm still surprised. Like I'm still drinking a cup of coffee and I'm still surprised every day by, wow, this tastes really good. I thought it was rubbish before, but now... Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Of course it does. Do you see baristas ever becoming like coffee sommelier, a different, a different coffee for every meal, dish or dessert? Yes and no. So I think in terms of professionalism, how they're thinking about flavor uh, and actually how they serve guests, I think a little bit where baristas are on their way there and a little bit they don't really have a choice. The physical skill of making coffee, which is what traditionally we celebrate as a barista, like how good you are at making coffee with your hands as technology gets better, but also as, you know, the way people set up cafes and businesses, the quality is getting better separate to the barista. 
So if you just focus on those physical skills, eventually there won't be any jobs for you. But, pe- but people do value their conversation. They value listening to s- some people value it. Other people don't. There is value in understanding your product and being able to talk about it and being able to share that kind of experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think from that side, yes. From being able to pair with meals and with different dishes, I think the knowledge is valuable. I think the problem is we don't really drink coffee that way. Cultural way we experience coffee makes it really hard to do it. You don't really want to drink five coffees with anything at any time. So I'll go to a coffee trade show and there'll be 50 stands and there'll be, you know, maybe incredible, incredible people on every stand making incredible coffee, but three in I'm bored. You know, I don't really, you know, and I'm the most passionate, most engaged customer they can have. And even I five espresso, that's a bad day. So wine, Wine has this uh, additional benefit that it's got just the right amount of alcohol that you finish one and you probably want your second one more than you wanted your first, right? It's like, ah, that was good. I'll have a bit more of that and you get merrier and more relaxed. I really think coffee consumption is closer to whiskey consumption. So it's more like you might spend crazy money uh, on a slightly better one that you want to share with someone else. You want to drink it with someone else and say, "Look, look at this cool thing I have. Let's enjoy it together. Let's have that experience together. Or you might be super geeky. So the Whiskey Society, I, I assume they have offices in the US as well, but in the UK, they have one or two bars. You go into the Whiskey Society and you taste whiskey from a list that you really don't know where it's come from. It's numbered or it's described by flavor. They've done the work for you, but you can taste really incredible whiskeys. And maybe you want to taste one or two side by side with someone else. That's a great experience but you don't really want to drink five. Yeah. Like five is alcoholism <laughs> yeah. or 50. I don't know. I don't yeah. know the quantities. <laughs> yeah. Your liver will appreciate it. Yes. The problem so, with coffee is coffee has failed as an industry to really differentiate the price point between really incredible coffee and everyday coffee. And why is that? I think because we were a little too passionate and not very good at business. Um, it's not quite rare enough. And we wanted to make enough money to open our doors on our cafes, even if it didn't quite work out. So we weren't protective enough of it. You go to almost the best cafe in the world and their business model is exactly the same as McDonald's. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a guy behind a counter, there's a girl behind a counter, they take your order and they make your thing as quickly as they possibly can. And that's great. And that's a functional, valuable thing, but speed never never helps you do the best quality and it never supports it. So if you get a product really fast, why would you pay lots of money for it? (laughs) You know? And I think that's a, that is a business model thing that will fix itself, but it'll take 50 years in 50, a hundred years. There will be cafes that do a really fast, really convenient job that serve 19, 95% of people. And that's fine. And there will be 5% of cafes that do a more expensive, maybe more experiential offering and the customer who goes into the experiential offering will pay more but they'll probably spend nine times of the amount of money in the convenience place okay they'll still buy maybe not bad coffee maybe the coffee will get better but they'll buy convenient coffee or they'll brew coffee at home but when they want to have a really good experience they'll pay more for it because they value it do you put sugar and milk in your coffee i don't do you judge do do you judge the other ones that do this 
I mean, I do. I judge <laughs> everyone, but I feel bad for judging them. <laughs> no, like, I really want people to embrace the idea that better coffee matters, that a better ingredient matters. And then if they modify it in some way, so if they like coffee with milk or coffee with sugar, you know what? Fine. Buy good coffee, put sugar in it. I don't think it improves it. I don't think great coffee should need it. I mean, that's a problem with the ingredient, not the person buying it. It's like, we should make it so it doesn't need sugar, that it delivers on that taste profile. I used to judge everyone. <laughs> and my, my father, yeah, uh, yes. Yeah. So, and then a, a friend of the family, an older guy came over to the house and asked for coffee and wanted milk in it. So I made the coffee and, you know, not really thinking what I was doing. I made coffee for me. I made coffee for him. And I poured milk in both of them. I was like, ah, oh, my life is ruined. Now I'm going to make more coffee for me. I'm not going to enjoy this. And, you know, 15 minutes later, because I didn't want to talk about it, I didn't want to raise it, I'm sipping it with him, trying to be a good host. I said, this is actually really good. And this coffee was a coffee that traditionally we would have told people. So it was a coffee from Ethiopia. It was a natural processed coffee. So it was all kinds of weird. Like that's, that's the equivalent of an heirloom tomato that you've roasted. Like it's, you've really changed the flavor and it's really incredible, weird flavor. It's not what you expect. And if you add milk to a cup of filter coffee made uh, of that kind of coffee, mm. it doesn't take away all those interesting qualities. It just changes them a little bit. And then the other thing is most people who work in coffee make 90% of their money from selling cappuccinos. And if, we, if, we, if we're really comfortable selling cappuccinos, we can't be uncomfortable p- people putting milk or sugar in a yeah, filter yeah. coffee, right? Yeah. It's the mm-hmm. same thing. That's how I have my breakfast every day. I'm sorry to tell you, Dale, but I have to have milk and I have to have, if there's no milk in a house, it's a very angry David. Uh, because <laughs> there's no coffee either. I, exactly. I cannot drink coffee without milk or sugar. I just can't. Uh, I mean, I actually, I stopped oh. for, for some reason, I stopped. Uh, I put almond milk now. That's not yeah. a particularly big difference for me, but it has to have that it's almost like to break down a little bit the strongness of the coffee. Yeah. Now you can tell me buy a weak coffee. I still cannot drink it without milk. It's just no, so a- I, I think, and again, when it comes to like the, the whiskey side of things, and I always talk about other industries with total lack of understanding. You know, a whiskey person listening to me describe whiskey will cry. So um, I'm sorry. It's okay. I think <laughs> <laughs> learning to like coffee is like learning to like whiskey or beer. It doesn't come naturally. And because the flavor is strong, there's this barrier. Traditionally, British people, the, the drink you'll get in most houses is tea with milk and sugar, right? The history of tea is amazing. And like the bad history of British tea is through the, through the Dutch East India Company or whatever, we were, we were introduced to this luxury product, but they were pretty much buying the worst tea in China that no one in China would drink. And then they were shipping it for six months and then it was being stored in ports. So by the time anyone in, in England tasted tea for the first time, we're talking about the worst version of tea. And that's what we learned to love, but we learned to love it because you know what, it tastes really bad, but it's really expensive. So you should like it. But if you add milk, which is, so milk has sugar, but it also has fat. So it slows down flavor release. It adds texture. It softens all the rough edges of that kind of product. And sugar does the same thing. Um, and that's exactly what we have with, with, uh, with a cup of filter coffee or a cup of coffee with half and half is it's, 
it's putting a barrier between the extremes of flavor. The core of the flavor is still there, but the bitterness is softened. The yeah. intensity of flavor is softened. Like my philosophy is, no, there's nothing wrong with it. What I would like people to do, at least once, once a year, if they drink coffee with milk uh, normally, is go to a great cafe, order a black filter coffee, and let it get lukewarm before they drink it and just taste it. And they will be surprised at how much better it can be just by losing the first 20 degrees because yeah. the, first, the first 20 degrees basically mask a lot of flavor. So whenever someone drinks their first sip of coffee, they're almost getting the worst experience of it. Mm-hmm. They'll taste anything bad in it straight away, uh, but they'll miss a lot of the sweetness and the other things. Do that once a year. And if it doesn't taste better than how you normally drink coffee, drink coffee the way you normally do. How was that experience in 2017 when became the World Barista Champion? What did that entail and how was the experience? It's easy for me to, to talk about the boring details. Um, so if, if I avoid those and just say like, first of all, it was literally a dream come true. Even before I won, I, I had decided a long time ago that, you know, I love coffee. I have this job that I don't really enjoy that much. I don't make a lot of money. Why am I doing this when I could do something that I love? I effectively began again. Uh, I was working in like retail and training and things like that. And I was like, you only have one life. You should do something that, that makes you happy because I'm probably never going to be rich. I'm probably never going to be famous. I'm not going to get good looking overnight. It's never going to happen. <laughs> But what I, can, what I can be is kind of happy, okay. you know, even if I'm poor or whatever. And I, I really enjoyed coffee. I really enjoyed actually more than the flavor of coffee. I enjoyed the fact that there were so many books about coffee that I could read and go in different directions. So you can fall in love with coffee because of history or because of flavor or because of its kind of economic impact. It really connects the world. If you look at any product, right? So if you really, if you really look at flour and really just think about flour and bread and what it does, it's incredible. It's amazing. And it connects so many people and has changed the world a hundred times. Potatoes the same. Coffee did it for me. I fell in love with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just wanted to feel like that all the time, that I was learning things, that I was growing. And so right at the beginning of having made that decision, I saw baristas in barista competitions, which is the equivalent in the industry of being a Michelin star chef, mm-hmm. right? It is the mechanism that gets you that kind of trophy or that accolade isn't really important that the people who have that kind of recognition people listen to them, yeah. people value them, people want to understand what they're learning and talking about. And so when I was first beginning with coffee, they were my heroes. I wanted to be like those people. And that's a really flawed, messy thing, but it's true. It's mm-hmm. who I was and what I felt. And actually my dream wasn't to be the champion. My dream was to be good enough at doing coffee to stand on that stage and compete next to them. And over the next, I don't know, five years, Because coffee is still quite small, it's mm-hmm. one, of the, one of the great benefits is it's 100 years behind, at least quality coffee is 100 years behind quality wine or quality, quality whiskey, maybe 200 years, quality food, 100, 200 years behind in terms of understanding itself and answering all the questions. So if you want to be good at coffee, you don't need to, you know, if you want to be good at wine, you go through a master's of wine system, you have to have the same knowledge as at least another, I don't know, 5,000 people who've qualified there. To be the best, you need to be 
as good as maybe the top 300 sommeliers in the world. And even then, you'll never be quite as good as someone who was the master sommelier who was the first one 20 yeah. years ago. You know, yeah. you'll never yeah. achieve that greatness. In coffee, after I've been working in coffee for four or five years, I could say I knew who the best people were at that time. And you know what? If I bumped into them at a trade show, they would, they would answer my questions and they would give me time because you know what? There's only, there were only 150 people who cared about coffee at that time anyway. You know, it, it was that small. And so I began working with those people, spending time with them, learning from them. Uh, and that really helped me grow, kept competing in the UK and less and less it became about winning and mm -hmm. more and more it became about because there weren't those qualifications, there weren't those tools to force you to learn things. Going through that process each year was a way of helping me challenge my assumptions, helping me find a way to learn new things, be it about how coffee was growing or how we were brewing coffee. So it became part of my, part of the way that I was learning to be better at my craft. And then I won in the UK. It took me like nine years of trying, 10 years of trying. And that was kind of enough. And there was also this additional joy that that year the competition was in Seoul. So I was traveling to a city that, you know, you work in coffee, you don't make that much money. You're never going to travel the world. Suddenly I had this opportunity to go to a city that was completely alien to me, that has an incredible coffee culture and people who are really passionate about coffee and be at this cool event. And then, so I had seven days in Seoul and I spent six of them on a trade show floor, <laughs> polishing glasses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you know from like, like other, other things in your work, it's like, even when you get the opportunity to travel, it's really hard to be a tourist or to be a true like visitor mm -hmm. in a place. You have to work at that. And I failed, but I did have an incredible experience. I was really focused on the thing. Um, I think to be in, to be in any industry, to be in a room where everybody cares about the thing you care about is a great experience to be able to stand on a stage and have, I don't know how many people were there, but like, and again, coffee's small, but let's say they were like, for that moment, there were 5,000 people, something crazy like that, who were all looking, all watching, all listening to my stupid ideas that I cooked up with my friends about how we should talk about coffee and how we should taste coffee. That was a really incredible moment. And because of winning there, I've had lots of similar opportunities later. You know, it's really stupid because the trophy meant a lot to me. You know, it was this goal that I wanted to achieve. Five seconds after realizing that I'd won, you know, there's a bit of shock. There was a little bit of, you know, no, the, uh, the other girl should have won, uh, whatever a mistake has been made. But then once you get over that and you accept it, you suddenly realize that actually the trophy doesn't mean that much. The title doesn't mean that much. There were another 50 people who were at that level that day. You were just lucky in, I don't know, 48 different ways that you skipped ahead of them. But the gift that it gave me of the chance to, to share more about my ideas with coffee, but also to learn, right? Because one of the greatest things of, of having that title is now I can email people that I wouldn't have had the guts to before. Um, so one of the coolest things I've done since is uh, the UK has one of the greatest, let's say, agricultural research stations in mm -hmm. the world in Kew Gardens. Um, so the knowledge that's there of all plants of botany, the samples that are there, which come from, you know, 400 years of samples being collected by weird, you know, Victorian gentlemen, right up 
to today where they have one of the largest seed collections in the world. And I was able to email their, not their head of coffee, but the, their main guy who spent a lot of time involved in coffee. And I emailed him and said, like, I've got these stupid questions. Would you mind? And I got to go there and spend like five, six hours learning from, from an incredible, an incredibly knowledgeable person. And to have those doors open is a great experience, is a great joy. And to have the, the platform in that people like me will listen to me, it means that I can share some of that knowledge. Mm-hmm. I can share some of the things that I've now got access to. That, that feels incredible. What was your first memory of taste? <laughs> all right. So all the things that I really remember about taste are the really boring kind of cheap food, either really commercial, easy to make food. Uh, so instant custard, which is a terrible product. But it's also when you learn more about it. I live in a pretty kind of boring middle-sized town now, but Birmingham is our, is our closest big city. Birmingham is like... I know the US equivalent, it's, it's got a real chip on its shoulder because it's the second biggest city in the UK, mm-hmm. but it has nothing cool in it. Like Liverpool has the Beatles, Manchester has Oasis, Edinburgh has great culture, Glasgow has great artists. Birmingham got nothing. Yeah, well, and it's kind of changing. They're working really hard to change it. And it, it has some incredible restaurants, some great food, but it has this real chip on its shoulder that it's really big, but no one cares about it. Birmingham is the home of instant custard. Instant custard is it's freaky when you make it because you mix this disgusting red powder with milk and it instantly changes color to yellow. And then it feels like you are mixing like hot water for 20 minutes. Instant custard is, doesn't taste of custard, doesn't taste of vanilla, doesn't taste good, but it's probably my first taste memory. <laughs> What is the most underrated ingredient for you? If you want to chip in the coffee part or like something people use spices for coffee can also answer in the coffee world, but can be also food related. I want to say coffee actually, but no, I'm going to say black pepper. Some really traditional coffee recipes. Some of the Turkish coffees will use black pepper as like a, like an aromatic spice with cardamom. Mm -hmm. I think We now have access to so many amazing cuisines and so many amazing ingredients that kind of black pepper is old school, maybe in French food, but, but it's incredible. Overrated ingredients. <laughs> so you, you did say you didn't want to talk about coffee all the time. So I'm asking. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I, I did. And, and then, then you realize the limits of my knowledge. Like, <laughs> rather than a single overrated ingredient, I just say kind of expensive things. Like the price doesn't mean quality. It can. Price can mean rarity. Really pricey things, they tend to be, the value there is about like how it makes you look and how it makes you feel. Actually champagne, right? Yeah. I don't particularly like champagne. Lots of, you know, bubbly wine's great. There are a lot of better tasting wines and probably better tasting champagnes than the ones I've been given as, wow, this one's incredible. I don't mind it. Yeah, but yeah, I get yeah. it. What's the best breakfast you can have? Uh, Coffee. <laughs> I mean, the most like accurate breakfast, the one that, you know, I end up having a lot and really enjoying is a really good croissant that really doesn't need anything else. I'm, I'm not sure anything can be 
just a slightly warm croissant and a good cup of coffee. Okay. Um, maybe huevos rancheros. That's a great thing, though. Yeah, it is. It's very good. What is the strangest combination? And this one, you can answer coffee or non-coffee again. You know, I'll leave that up to you. The strangest combination people might do it food-wise or coffee-wise, they put it together, two, three ingredients that you just cannot accept. Okay, so really easy. Um, let's stick to coffee, particularly espresso. So there is a classic overused combination, which is coffee and chocolate, right? Because they're mm-hmm. both kind of bitter and brown. And I love coffee and I love chocolate. And I really don't mind the two together, but they don't add a lot to each other. The problem is coffee, chocolate, and chili. And I have no idea, like, there might be some, like, solid traditional reason that, you know, Incas were having savory chocolate with chilies that was really traditional. But I think that was access to resources. They mm-hmm. had both chocolate and chilies and no one else did. So put them together. Coffee, chocolate, and chili. Maybe it can taste good, but I've never experienced it tasting good. So the name of the podcast is Turning Chickens and Breaking Dishes. Those are two Portuguese phrases. Turning chickens means someone that has a lot of experience and breaking dishes means someone that exceeded all expectations. Have you been turning more chickens or breaking more dishes? <laughs> I have definitely broken more dishes than anything okay. else. I am terrible. Or like both in coffee, both in life, I am clumsy and I am slow to learn. But I think you get more from making mistakes Like, so even in competition, right? I got more from the experience of losing, coming second each time. I learned more, I grew more than winning. Winning, I got a pat on the back. And, you know, I was so used to coming dead last or second. It's often the same thing in a competition, right? It's immediately after you come second, you know, the, the culture in coffee competitions is you go to the judges and say, You know, I'm, re- I'm really sad, but thank you for your feedback. Sensei, tell me how I should win. Tell me what I did wrong, what I could do better. And normally the judge will kind of take pity on you and they'll give you half hour of their time and go through your score sheets and point out all the things that if you had chosen differently, you might have scored some more points or you might have come up with a different effect. When you win, the judge is like, what? You want more points? Go, celebrate. You learn nothing from the experience. It's really hard to go back and really try and be critical about it because you know what? I beat everyone else. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So these parts of the podcast, I always ask my guests to sell their fish. So in Portugal, if someone tells you to sell your fish, that means you talk about yourself. So what's in the future for you? You know, the plans, where people can find you, all of that. (laughs) I like the phrase. I'm I'm going to sell your fish. So I work for a fairly small roastery in the UK, uh, small commercial size, but big in terms of what we do for specialty. That takes up most of my life and I'm really proud of what we do. So you can find me at has been, you can look at some of the things I do on social media, like on Instagram, but I'm really bad at it. And that's why they'll answer back a month after, uh, after I asked him, (laughs) do you want to be on a podcast? And a month after he said, Oh yeah, sure. (laughs) That is, that is my true life. Um, The things that are really interesting to me are thinking about how we do coffee differently and particularly how we serve it and coming up with new ways of presenting it or new ways of talking about it to different people. And so I do a lot of work around that. And if I'm onto a good thing, I normally want to share it. So I'll post pictures or or I'll talk about it. 
But also I want to learn. So if anyone has any questions or wants to think more about coffee, they can drop me a message and it might take me a few weeks, but I will get back to them. Um, I want to have those conversations. So. Before we finish the conversation, are you going to tell me now what are you drinking? Because before we got <laughs> records, Daly's drinking something looked like Bailey's. I asked him if it was Bailey's and you said it wasn't. Yeah. It's something weird. That you actually said, David, just drop it. It's just something weird, right? Yeah, uh, so it's, it's something weird. I worry that like... Don't worry. I, well, I struggle in life that whenever I talk about coffee to people, I worry that they always go, oh, he was nice, but he is, you know, a coffee snob and none of it applies to us. And so I never want to come across as a snob. And then I'm drinking my weird drink and I come across as a total snob. It is a pre-bottled <laughs> pre, pre cocktail made with a spirit made in, made in Copenhagen by a company called uh, Empirical Spirits. And so it's a, a fancy bartender in London did this collaboration with them. There were a hundred bottles and I've had it in the fridge for about two weeks and my partner hasn't been very well. So we haven't been able to crack it open and she seemed to be feeling better today. So I was like, finally, I can enjoy this with her. <laughs> <laughs> so so it is, I don't know, it's a plum, I suppose, cocktail from Empirical Spirits. Perfect. Adele, thank you very much for your time. I promise I'll try to drink some coffee with no sugar. Okay. <laughs> and I'll let you know the results of that. Uh, this was a pleasure. And thank you very much for coming. Thank you so much. And uh, I can't wait to listen to more episodes. Thank you. Did you like that episode? Raise your hands. Me too. Thank you very much for listening to the episode. I'm so grateful for all the messages and comments that you have left. And if you haven't done that, don't forget also to subscribe to the podcast, share, tell your friends all about the chickens we are turning and the dishes we are breaking. You can follow me on Instagram at Turning Chickens Breaking Dishes, on the Facebook page Turning Chickens and Breaking Dishes, and you can also send me an email to info at turningchickensandbreakingdishes.com. Don't forget I release an episode every Tuesday and Friday of each week, so stay tuned all the time. If you want to support this podcast, you can go to anchor.fm slash david-martins. Have an amazing day. Adios.